0: Dark room is a place of process and development. A place where moments are captured, details are exposed, and images are revealed. What if everything we're striving for in life can be revealed through a shift in perspective? What if our lack of focus on who Christ is in us corrupts our destiny and impact? What if we could adjust our lens and fix our eyes on the right image? What if we could filter our mind and capture who God really is? What if we could change position, and expose the lies we believe. Who is God? Jesus, the image of God revealed.
1: Well, we are uh, continuing in this series, The Dark Room. And it's all about how Jesus wants to be revealed, not only to us, but today we're going to see how he wants to be revealed in us. This is the third week. The last couple of weeks, we've had a phenomenal time together. Last week, man, Pastor Corey absolutely killed it. If you were not here, I really encourage you to go check out that message online. I promise you it will encourage you. But the reason why we're kind of just doing this study through the book of Colossians is because sometimes as pastors and as leaders, we will just kind of maybe preach whatever's on our heart to preach or maybe from an experience. But as we actually just walk through section at a time or verse at a time through a book, it forces us to talk about what the scriptures are talking about. You see, last week, Pastor Corey really talked about how Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And if Corey had his choice, he probably wouldn't just pick that out of thin air to stand up here and preach to you. But because it was in the Word, he was kind of forced to wrestle with it, and he was forced to kind of preach it. And, man, it was a phenomenal message. Man, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And it doesn't just say that in Colossians. Matter of fact, if you study it out and you you see it all over the place, it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It says, man, the gospel represents the glory of Jesus who is the image of God. Hebrews chapter 1 says that Jesus is the exact representation of God. Man, the exact representation of God. And so what Corey was trying to convey last week is that if your view of God doesn't line up with your view of Jesus, then maybe your view of God is a little bit skewed because Jesus is who God is is and who he represents. I'm just telling you today that that we are forced to talk about some things because Paul kind of brings it up in this letter that sometimes we wouldn't normally talk about, but today I promise you, you are going to be super encouraged in what we are going to be discussing today. If you brought your Bibles, I encourage you to go ahead and get them out and turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. We're still in chapter 1. We're going to pick up in verse 24. If you have your phones, you can get them out as well. We're going to go from uh, verse 24 of chapter 1 all the way to verse 5 of chapter 2. This is a section that Paul writes in this letter. Remember, this is a letter to the church in Colossa, And when he wrote this letter, Paul tonight put chapter numbers. He didn't put verse numbers. It was just a continual letter. But this is what he writes. Check this out. If you don't have a Bible, it's all good. It will be up on the screens behind me. It says, Now I rejoice... In what I am suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the Word of God in its fullness. The mystery, everybody say mystery, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people, to them. God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, say mystery one more time, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they might know the what? Mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Would you pray with me real quick? Father, I just come before you. I'm so thankful to be in this place. I'm so thankful to be with these people, the church. Father, I pray that That today you would just move me aside, that you would speak powerfully, that it would be your words that penetrate a heart and our spirit, that that causes faith to arise, that we could go out and actually apply, that we could be transformed by your word, through your word, through us living it and walking it out every single day. We pray you would move powerfully. In Jesus' name that I pray this. Amen. Amen. So uh, I'm curious this morning. Does anyone here remember the television show, The Biggest Loser? Who remembers that show? A lot of you guys. That was one of my favorite shows when it was airing. And for those of you that maybe not remember the show, basically what would happen is they would get contestants from all over America. They would get, you know, 30 or 40 people that were at the time unhealthy, not very fit. Matter of fact, they would have been in the overweight or the obese category, and they would get them all together, and they would train them professionally. They would have um, nutritionists. They would have professional chefs, and basically they kind of taught them how to live a healthy life. And I love the show because basically these contestants, they would start working out, they would start eating right, and their physical lives would be transformed in incredible ways. And I'm talking about like weeks at a time. You'd have a guy, he might weigh like 380 pounds, and after like a week, he's down to like 350 pounds, and you're like, He lost 30 pounds in a week. How did he do this? But what I loved about the show is because the show progressed for about three months with these contestants. But after three months, and after you saw the transformation that they made until that point, they actually sent them home. And says, okay, we've taught you all this. We've given you the tools. Now we want you to go home and do it on your own. You remember this? Right, So they would go home for like six months. They'd have to work out on their own. They'd have to eat right on their own. And then finally, they brought them all back together after six months of not seeing them at all, and they would have this what? Big reveal. right? They would have the pictures of their old self up there and what they used to look like, and they would say, hey, let's check out what he looks like now. And here would be this dude that just jumps through the paper, and yeah, he might have started at like 380 pounds, but now he's down to like 175, and he is... So fit and muscular and and like, you know, just incredibly healthy and you're like, oh my gosh, like it was like this big reveal That you did not see maybe coming. You're like, man, did he did he work out at home or did he just go back to old habits? Like it was this like mystery. It's like this suspense that it's like, oh my gosh, man, that is amazing Well, maybe you can't really maybe identify without maybe maybe you haven't seen that show I know for my wife one of her favorite television shows is uh fixer-upper And uh, she loves it so much, even though it's not being aired anymore, she will sit and watch reruns, even of episodes she has already seen. But it's okay. She loves it. She loves the relationship that Chip and Joanna Gaines has um, in the show. But what she also loves about the show is that the show is just a very... Short, like 30-minute show, but it shows them, like, with their plans. It shows the demo. It shows them getting their computer out and all these, like, renditions of what it's going to look like. And then, right, they would be working on this house, but you really didn't see really that much of a completed process or project. And they would actually say, okay, hey, come back after the commercial break and see what? The big reveal, Right? So after the commercials, they'd come back, they'd be standing out in front of the house, they'd have this big picture put on like this poster board of what the house used to look like, and they would say, hey, let's check out your new home, and they would pull it apart, and man, it was this big reveal, and they were so excited because of the transformation. You see, we, we all love the suspense or the mystery behind a reveal. Matter of fact, it's uh. And I really didn't have any experience with this Because my wife and I really didn't um, Choose to do any of these things But today, it is like a big deal For couples who are expecting To have a gender reveal party And I, I think it's pretty, pretty amazing Matter of fact, I think it's pretty clever Some of the ways that people go about Revealing what their gender of their baby Is going to be And, uh, man, it's super creative Matter of fact Um, my uh, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law, so Melanie's brother, the way they chose to do it just recently is they actually got a bunch of eggs. Some were dyed pink, some were dyed blue, and they would actually take one of the eggs and they would smash it on their forehead, and if it actually like ran down, then that wasn't the sex of the baby. So they kept doing this, breaking eggs over their head until they found the one that was a hard-boiled egg, and that one hurt. (laughs) I guess it's kind of a picture of what Maybe it's going to be like, I don't know. Um, it hurt. But people try to come up with all these clever, clever ways. I think it was, uh, where's my man Tyler at? Tyler. Tyler and Casey, they're expecting right now. And uh, man, for their gender reveal party, actually, Tyler was a soccer player, so they got this ball. And they didn't know what the sex of the baby was, but somebody else filled it up with either blue powder or pink powder. And then Tyler actually had to, like, drop kick it, you know, like he's drop kicking a soccer ball, and the whole thing exploded blue, right? For another baby boy. And so they were super excited. But I'm bringing all this up to say there is something amazing about a reveal. When something is revealed to you. And Paul here to this new church in Colossae is going to reveal something that is incredible. He's going to reveal something that he actually calls in other places the gospel. The good news. And he reveals to them This secret, matter of fact, if you picked up on it, he called it a mystery. And he said, this is the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and for generations. He says, this mystery is now made known. And the mystery is this. It's Christ in you. You see, I don't think we really grasp the significance of having Christ in us. Because if we truly understood what it meant to have Jesus in, it, in us, I promise you, we would live so much more empowered, so much more confident, knowing that it's not us, it's him living his life through us. Matter of fact, Paul, in a, in a few other places, he says this in, uh, in Galatians chapter 1, he says, But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me. Now, this is Paul. We've talked about Paul quite a bit in this place. This was Paul who used to persecute the church. He used to persecute Christians. Well, Jesus showed up to him on a road, and now the Christians that he was persecuting, he actually stopped that, and he became one of them. But we think that, man, Christ came to him on this road to reveal himself to him, but Paul says, no, Jesus wasn't revealed to me. Jesus was revealed in me. You see, it's from within, not from without. Or put it another way, God reveals Christ to us from within us. He writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay, or this treasures in earthen vessels. Jesus is the treasure. We are the earthen vessels, Christ in you. And then Galatians 2.20, he says this. He says, For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lived, but it's Christ who lives his life, what? In me. You see, when you came to Christ, you gave up your rights. You don't own anything. You don't possess anything. You're not in control of anything. It's now Jesus who wants to live his life through you. That's why I love what Julia said earlier. You know, you don't come to this place to get more of God, man. You have to understand that God wants to get more of you. But oh, man, Christ in you, why, why is this so important? Why is this something that Paul wanted to make sure that this church, and even us today, I'm so glad that we still have this letter to learn from. Why would he say, man, this mystery that has been kept hidden is now being made known, it's revealed to us that it is Christ in us, the hope of glory. Why, why is this so important? Why is this good news? Well, it's good news because if we understand that it's Christ in us, Like I said earlier, we can be empowered when the spirit, because we have the spirit, if we have Christ, when the spirit prompts us to do something, we can do it in confidence knowing it's not just in our power, it's in his power and strength. When he asks us to maybe go and and, and share maybe uh, some truth with someone, maybe go and share some love with someone, we can actually step out and actually do it, understanding that it's not just us, it's Christ in us. You see, this is so important to understand. We also have to understand this because when we have Christ in us, you know what we have? We have eternal life in us. You see, there's a difference between eternal life and everlasting life. Everlasting life has a beginning, but then it has no end. It's everlasting. But eternal life, like everlasting life, has no end, but eternal life also has no beginning. Well, how many do of you know John 3, 16? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes, believes in him shall not perish, but have what? Eternal life. Man, you get eternal life because you have Jesus in you. I'm reminded of the, uh, the old Gatorade commercial, and if you have seen this, you'll know what I'm talking about, but they're athletes, and they're drinking Gatorade, and they're They're out on the field or they're running track, and, man, they're just sweating. If they drank an orange Gatorade, they're sweating orange, you know, liquid. If they drank a green one, they're sweating green Gatorade. And at the end of the commercial, it actually says, Gatorade, is it in you? Jesus, is he in you? The answer is yes. It's the mystery that's been made known. Not only do we have eternal life, but we also have the mind of Christ. I love how verse 28, Paul actually said this. He says, we preach Christ so that we can present everyone mature. Then he goes on to verse two in chapter two. He says, my goal is so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. And in Christ, there is hidden all the treasure of wisdom and knowledge. You have access to wisdom and knowledge because of Christ in you. I love how the message translation puts this. Uh, From time to time, I love pulling this out because I think this is beautifully put. If we can get that pulled up, check this out. It says, we preach Christ, warning people not to add to the message that it's Jesus plus nothing, right? We teach in a spirit of profound common sense so that we can bring each person to what maturity and then he says this you want to be mature in faith you want to be mature in your walk with Christ he says to be mature is to be what basic to be mature is to be basic Christ no more no less well, in the rest of our time this morning what I want to do is I want to talk to you about how we need to become basic and I understand that that is not a great word to use today. Matter of fact, if somebody calls you basic, especially if you're a young person here, somebody calls you basic, it is like a derogatory negative term, right? They call you basic. They mean like you're a loser. You, you know, uh, you have nothing going for you. You have no flair. You, you know, you don't have anything that, uh, that is of worth or of value. You're basic, but I'm going to redeem that word and say, it's okay to be basic. I'm going to tell you today that I'm okay with basic because I have Christ in me. I know these simple truths. Matter of fact, I have five, five simple truths about the character that we have or the attitude that we should have because we understand that Christ is living in us. And I came up with this acronym that goes along with being Basic. So if you uh, are taking notes, and I encourage you to do so, I really want you to write these down, write the verses down, write what I'm going to share with you down, so that way this week you can go back and really begin to apply it to your life. But the first thing in being basic is this. B is you got to believe you matter. You have to believe that you matter. You see, so many people I meet think that just the people on the platform are the people that matter. But if you even think about it, Paul wrote this church, and he addresses it, if you remember, to who? To the saints. He addresses it to the church. Matter of fact, from a couple weeks ago, we saw how he even asked the church to remember Epaphras. Epaphras was their pastor. And he says, you know, remember him. He's one of our fellow servants, you know, laboring and striving for you guys. But that tells me if he actually has to bring up Epaphras' name, then it wasn't written specifically to Epaphras. You understand this, right? You understand that, that, that he's not like, hey, Epaphras, you're holy, you're blameless, you're without accusation like we talked about last week. He doesn't just say that to Epaphras. He doesn't say, hey, Christ is in you. No, he addresses it to the church. You see, we have to grasp how important it is that we matter to the kingdom of God. Whether or not you think you're insignificant, I'm telling you, you're not. Matter of fact, so many times we focus on just our position in Christ, right? We, we focused on being in Christ, and in Him, yes, we are holy and blameless and without accusation. Yes, in Him, we are righteous and we are justified. Yes, in Him, we are saints, but sometimes it's not only about... Us in him, it's him in us. And if he's in us, guess what? Not only He's in me, if he's in you, that means that you matter too. And I didn't mean to make that rhyme, but it just did. But you matter to God. You have a part to play in advancing the kingdom of God. You have to start believing that you matter. Matter of fact, somebody here this morning, you need to hear that. You matter. You really do. You matter to God, the, I, the, the A is this, so believe you matter. A is this, always show honor. And this has to go right along with the aspect of believe you matter. Always show honor. Always show honor. Whether or not what the person does is honorable, they might not be a person of honor, but you show honor because you are honorable. It's like what we tell people from time to time. You know, if you go out to eat, you better leave a really good tip. I don't care what the server does. I don't care how great the service, if it was amazing or if it was poor, it doesn't matter. You still tip well. Why? Because you tipping well isn't, isn't about how honorable they are and how they did their job. It shows how honorable you are. Matter of fact, um, Paul was writing uh, to the, the, the Corinthian church, and he really wanted them to grasp that they are like a body, right? The church is related to a body. And he says this in chapter 12. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. He said, on the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. You see, he talks about how even the people that feel like they may be insignificant or you might look at someone and think that they don't have very much worth, he said, no, you go out of your way to show them special honor. Matter of fact, honor, and I've mentioned this before, but I'm really beginning to understand how significant it is. Do you know that honor is actually the only thing that Scripture talks about in us being competitive about something? Like we're actually to be in competition over showing honor. Matter of fact, Paul writes another place and he says this. He says, outdo one another in showing honor. So I see you showing honor to someone. I see that and I want to one up it. Oh, that's amazing how you showed honor to that person. How can I go above and beyond in showing honor to them? Right? The people that we think are insignificant to those people, we show them a special honor. Honor. And I really got the significance of this, and Paul even relating the church to a body, just this week. On Monday night, I was uh, playing basketball with a group of guys. And man, I've been playing basketball for over 30 years, and I had never ha- had something happen like it happened Monday night. I reached for the ball, and it was just a perfect placement of the ball right on the tip of my pinky. And uh, you, I don't know if you can see it now. My pinky was like completely black and purple earlier But this bone that goes from right there to my knuckle was sticking out of the side of my skin. And, of course, I had to pop it back in. And it's just a stupid pinky finger, but I could not work out this week. Man, I went to go try to do push-ups on Tuesday the next, or uh, not push-ups, pull-ups the next day with Corey. And I couldn't do a pull-up because of how much pain I was in just because of my pinky finger. And of course, you know, Corey, he was making fun of me. He was blasting me, but I just could not do it. I I was trying, but I couldn't. It was in so much pain. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, that is like something just insignificant, a pinky finger. It should not be affecting my entire body. It should not be affecting my mood. I shouldn't be ticked off. I shouldn't be upset. I shouldn't be in pain, but I am. What is going on? And then I came across the verse this week. Man, even the people that you think, are the weaker ones and indispensable, the people that we think are less honorable, those people we treat with special honor. So I actually went uh, the following day and I actually taped up my pinky to my other pinky, right? I was showing a little special honor, a little special love to it because it was in pain. But what I'm saying is, you know, whenever somebody else is, is in pain, whenever somebody else is hurting, right, it affects all of us because we are connected. We are the body. That's why we show honor. And we continue to show honor. And we're going to continue to show honor. And we're going to keep going with that. So believe you matter. Always show honor. The third thing with basic, the S, is stick with it. Stick with it. You know, I I always used to believe that having the faith to start something was like the biggest deal. Like I always said, man, if man, somebody putting their faith out there and, and just walking in obedience, and, and I'm not trying to downplay it. It is a scary place to be in, and it is a credible act of faith to just put yourself out to take that first step. But the older I get, I find that it's also equally as important, if not more important, not just have not just to have the faith to start something, but to have the fortitude to see it through. To finish it. And you know, I think about guys like my dad. And maybe the greatest thing that I learned from my dad was to have an attitude and a heart to stick with it, even through tough and difficult times. You know, for those of you that do not know my dad, my dad actually faithfully pastored this church for over 30 years, for 31 years. And I was thinking about how he loved And Of course, people came, some people went, but he loved like the the, the, the 80 to 100 people, man, he loved those people so well. But back in 2001, my dad, after pastoring for about 20 years, he actually had a tragic accident. Many of you know this, but he fell 30 feet from a tree stand. They had to, to pull out over like 90 pieces of bone fragment from his vertebrae. He's held up right now by like two 10-inch titanium rods. He still has no feeling in his right leg. And it was a long process. My mom will tell you, it was a long process of hospital stays and of rehab and, you know, just getting to be able to walk again. But I even remember the day, it was not quite a year later. So that happened in 2001. And in 2002, my dad came back and resumed his position, faithfully serving the church, pastoring the people of this community. And that was in 2002. He didn't, he didn't actually release it to me until 2012. So for a decade, for 10 years, my dad stuck with it. And I knew that he was hurting physically every single day. And you know, whenever you're hurting physically, sometimes that affects you spiritually and also emotionally just a little bit because of your physical pain going on in your body. But man, my dad stuck with it for a decade because he knew that he was called to this place. And he knew his calling was to love people. Man, what I'm trying to say is, you know, times will be tough. You know, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But he also says, fear not, for I have overcome the world. And if he's overcome the world and he is in you, you can stick with it. I'm reminded of Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. It says, do not grow weary in doing good, for you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. And we can't be people who give up. We have to stick with it because Jesus is in us. If you think about it, too, the very first verse um, in today's uh, assignment, verse 24, it says, or Paul says, For I rejoice in my suffering. Man, that, that is not something that we like to say or that I hear very often. Man, I'm rejoicing my suffering. Yeah, I'm going through it, but I'm rejoicing. But this is Paul. And Paul, he's writing this letter from prison. So he is suffering. But he says, man, look, I rejoice in my suffering. Another place, he actually says in Philippians, he says, look, I know that I'm in chains, not for no reason. But he said, I'm in chains for Christ. Like he had a perspective to say, look, I'm not just tied and in chains. So all these guards, they're tied to me. I have a captive audience. I can make a difference. I can affect their life, and then they can in turn go out and make change throughout the entire Roman Empire. I have time now because I'm isolated and confined. I have time to write the churches' different letters. He wrote three letters to churches while he was in prison. It's having the perspective of, look, I can, I can deal with this. I'm not just a prisoner to what I'm going through. I can actually stick with it. Believe you matter, always show honor, stick with it. And the fourth thing, if you're taking notes, is this, is just to initiate love first. Initiate love first. And for those of you that are uh, the grammar police, yes, I used two synonyms in the beginning and the end of this point. Initiate does mean to do it first. But I did this because I really wanted to drive this point home, that we don't wait until other people show us love before we show them love. Matter of fact, Jesus says, look, if you love those who love you, what is that to you? He said, even the pagans do that. Right? And then Jesus says to love our enemy. You see, we don't show love because people love us. We don't show respect. You know, one thing that I, I can't stand to hear nowadays is whenever people get all puffed up and they're like, man, I'll show them respect when they begin to show me some respect. No, because Jesus is in you. You don't get to act that way. You don't get to say that. It's no, you continue to show love. You continue to show grace. You continue to show honor. You continue to show respect, regardless if they give it to you or not. Doesn't matter, like it's an unconditional love, right? An unconditional means it can be a one-way love and that's okay. Because isn't that how God loves us? Matter Matter of fact, it says this, In uh, 1 John 4, he says, we love because he first loved us. We don't love because maybe another person loves us first. We love because he loved us first. It was a love without strings. It was an unconditional love. It was a one-way love. And it's okay to love that way. Matter of fact, I think we are commanded to love that way. You know, speaking of commands, there was a, a Pharisee that actually Um, Was trying to trip up jesus one day and he says man jesus Which one is the greatest commandment? Remember there was 613 different laws and commands that they had to live under And he says this here's the greatest commandment Love the lord your god with all your heart with all your mind with all your soul with all your strength And love your neighbor as yourself Now you got to remember he was speaking to jews under the law and for them That would have been the greatest commandment but on this side of the cross in the new covenant It's not love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength And love your neighbor as yourself. It cannot be that way. Why? Because there are some days that I know I don't like myself You know, I just got up on the wrong side of the bed one morning and maybe until I get a little, you know Kick in the butt from my wife or whatever, man, I'm pouting, I'm doing whatever So if I can feel that way from time to time And if I'm supposed to love my neighbor as I love myself, and there are those times that we go through, maybe we don't like ourselves, so is that okay not to love our neighbor if we don't like ourselves? You understand what I'm saying here? You see, Jesus takes it to a whole nother level. And he doesn't say love your neighbor as yourself. He goes on, and gives this command, this command I give you to love as I have loved you. Right, we see how he loves us and then we love others in the same way. Matter of fact, it's simply our love for people that show now our love for God. Because now after the cross, and you can look for it, you won't find anywhere where it tells you to love God. But you can find dozens of different places where it calls us and commands us to love people because how we love others shows and proves our love for God. We need to begin to initiate love first. Jesus also said in John 13, he says this, Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you, now he doesn't say if you show up for church every week. You will be my disciples if you give a certain amount in the offering. He doesn't even say by this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you have love for me. He says by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Man, we need to become people that initiate love because we understand that we have Jesus in us. I'm telling you, this is so huge. This is truly the gospel that Christ is in us. And because he's in us, it's okay to be basic. Believe you matter. Always show honor. Stick with it. Initiate love first. And the last one's this. Connect with others. I'm going to get Tim to come up, and he's going to help me as I close today. but. One of the core values we have at this church is that we don't do life alone, that we understand that we can't do life alone. We need one another. We need people in our life. There was a quote that I heard from uh, Pastor Perry Noble. It was uh, it was about a year or two ago, and he pastors uh, Second Chance Church down in Anderson and as I came across this this quote, and as I heard it, like I immediately wanted to kind of get a little upset, but then I was thinking, well, no, let me just hear what, what his heart behind it was. But he said this, and I'm gonna actually say this to you, and I want you to hear the heart behind it. But, but he says, if as followers of Jesus, he said, if we prioritize our quiet time with God, Above our connection with others, we have missed the gospel. And look, he wasn't saying that a quiet time is not important. It is. He wasn't saying that, you know, you don't need to spend any time with God. Just hang out with other people. That, that isn't at all what he's saying. He says, but if we prioritize it above our connection with others, we have missed the heart of the gospel. You know recently i um, I heard about somebody that was going through a tough time and I knew him rather close to him and I heard about the difficult situation that they were going through and I began to pray for him you know God would you just help so and so would you do this would you do this? you know I think you know the Bible does talk about praying without ceasing so I was trying to do a little bit of that and kind of came to the realization that, man, Chanik, that's great, but you have the ability to do something about it. You can actually put feet to your prayer. And then I was immediately reminded of four friends who had a friend who was lame and crippled and he needed healed. And they had heard that Jesus was nearby. So they did everything that they could do, these friends, to get, this friend that was paralyzed, they carried him. They took him to the house. Man, they they dug a hole in the roof just to get this dude to Jesus. And they could have been like, well, man, we buddy, man, we're praying for you. We're believing for great things for you. Man, we're praying that one day Jesus would heal you. They could have done that. And I'm not saying at times we don't just hit our knees and pray. But they said, you know what? Not only, well, we can pray for you, but. Man, hop on this map. We're going to go and take you to Jesus. We're just going to make it happen. Sometimes we need to put feet to our prayer. And so I actually, instead of just praying for this person, I stepped out and said, hey, I'm here. What can I do? Can I, can I just listen? Maybe you just need to share your story. Can, can I help in any tangible way? You know, we need one another. Matter of fact, Scripture tells us that we are to bear one another's burdens. We're expected to pray, and prayer does set our mind on the path of God, but our participation should not end there. We're called to put feet to our prayer. We need to connect with others. Matter of fact, from the very beginning, right, God created Adam. He looked down and he says, well, it's not good that man's alone. So he created even. As I go through the scriptures and as I go through the stories in the Bible, I'm reminded over and over again that everything that God does He does through a connection, through a group, through people coming together. You see, there's an old proverb. It says that where there is unity, God commands a blessing. And as we connect and as we begin to do life together, and we do this because we recognize that not only is Jesus in us, it's then in them. He's in them as well. Man, it changes our perspective and it changes our mindset. So it's okay. It's okay to be basic. It's okay to be basic. To be mature is to be basic. It's all about Christ and Christ is in you.